Good morning, Rock Bible Church. Uh, welcome to uh, Rock Bible Church. We are Christ-centered, yes? Yeah. Um, I want to stop there. Normally, I know some of you are like, wait, no, we have to get to biblically based and all this stuff. Um, Christ-centered is important, uh, I think, to point out this morning because of the start of our book, Romans. And what we're going to see in Romans is, I, I like what Brent said, it's just one of the best books or one of the great books. There's, there's two ways to think about that. It's one of them, you know, there's a bunch of them. Or it's one of the books. It's number one. Because when it comes to theology, doctrine, uh, really who Christ is, what is the gospel, there's so many different things. And I'm very excited about it. I'm a little intimidated by it. Nervous. It's, there's a lot. Um, I'm going to apologize up front. We'll never cover it all. Okay? And we're going to go way too fast, I'm sure. But the excitement is we're going to hit the big boulders, the pillars, uh, the most important stuff. We're going to be compelled to Christ um, within all the heavy definitions. Uh, we're going to paint in between the lines, the broad strokes, the fine strokes, the detail, the finished work, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I, I think it should be exciting. And, and if you have friends, I love they said, invite your buddies. I hope you have buddies. Um, this, this is uh, one of the best books for understanding the whole of Scripture because it really gives us a great foundation. Um, and the first, the first thing it does is it, it forces us to acknowledge God. And uh, it, that's coming out of our passage this morning, Romans chapter 1, uh, to acknowledge God. Uh, but Paul starts his book acknowledging who God is, period. And then moves forward and starts to fill in all the blanks. And so uh, very exciting. That's why this morning, if you look at your outline, it says Romans chapter 1, acknowledging God. And then there's a couple blanks. Those kind of come later at the end. That'll be fun trying something new um but uh let's jump in let's pray and then we'll do the rest lord thanks for this morning and thanks for you thanks for your team those here those in the past those yet to come thank you lord for how your work and your purposes uh, through us, through people, to the benefit of yourself and then those same people. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us to see the definition, see the, with clarity who you are, what's important, how you've designed everything. Draw us into that, Lord. Draw us into this book. Help us to understand it and be different when we walk out. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen? Amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Here it goes. Paul, that's who wrote it. We're not going to get into any arguments about that, okay? We're just going to run with that assumption. Uh, every once in a blue moon, they try to prove, well, it might have been somebody else. No one has done that effectively, and usually it's done because... A lot of people don't like Paul, right? And here's the thing. You're about to see he comes straight at the issue. 
and leaves no wiggle room. He's very clear. And that's frustrating for some people because they want shades of gray. They want wider boundaries, um, longer leash, whatever it is. Um, they want to take liberties. And Paul is very clear about when you can take liberty and when there, there is no wiggle room. This is the way sin works. This is how death happens. This is who Christ is. And he, he, he says that about several different human behaviors. We're going to get into some of them this morning. And so for a lot of people, Paul is, is the, you hear, I hear this once in a while, well, I like most of the Bible, I just don't like any of Paul's stuff. Why? <laughs> Throw the whole thing out then. I mean, it's all, I mean, he's the one that makes the most sense out of the rest of the whole thing. You can't just throw out something because you don't like it, okay? Um, and if you don't like Paul, you better make friends. You better make friends with Paul because um, when, it, when it comes to theology, he's kind of the boss, all right, because uh, when we get into biblically based and compelling and casual and community, guess what? Most of the verses that we would use to justify those statements as to who we are and our mission as a church probably come out of one of his 13 books. 13 books? I haven't even written one book. He wrote 13? Yes. And some of the best stuff in Scripture. So... Um, let's see what he calls himself. He says, a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm bothered by this. I have my own little bias about this. This word servant, it's doulos in Greek. You find it all over the Bible over a hundred and something times. Um, almost every time it's used in Scripture, it's, it's used as slave or bond servant. It's meant to be um, stark and heavy and you're owned. Not you're a servant, not you bring uh, food to the table or you clean up after somebody. No, I think this should say slave. Holman Christian Standard Version of the Bible says Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. I think uh, many of the translations wimped out and wanted to go with servant because it was cleaner and would be less offensive or whatever. Um, remember when we talk about slavery in the Bible, it happened thousands of years before our country even existed so it has no bearing or history in our country <laughs> he says this is who i am god owns me i like that better than oh i serve jesus it sounds like you it's something you do for pay and out of obligation or something like that anyways uh paul a slave of christ jesus called to be an apostle he's called to something who does the calling? God does. Apostle for himself? No, we've already established he's a slave of Christ, so he's an apostle for Christ, set apart for the gospel of God. His apostleship is focused on the gospel. Now we have it. First sentence, here I am, and I'm here to talk about the cross. I'm here to talk about Jesus, the fact that he died for you, this setting free of us, this grace, salvation, all the different things that come. He's going to get into sanctification later on. But where's it all hinge? Christ-centered. There it is. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He told us it was coming. He's done this before with other people before Paul. Paul acknowledges that. 
Um, is he here to discredit the prophets? Say no. He's saying these people prophesied about Christ and the gospel, what was going to happen on the cross. It happened. It came true. I'm here to continue that thing according to the Holy Scriptures, biblically based. I love that. Concerning his son, that'd be Christ, who was descended from David according to the flesh, that means he's the right lineage, according to prophecy, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his, what? By his resurrection. He says, Christ proved it. Why am I doing this? Because it's the real deal. It's been proven. We're not making anything up. We're not working towards some future thing. We're, we're acknowledging what has already happened we're accepting it, and then we're going to build from that. Love that. Um, declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's a nice entry. Nice greeting, huh? It's not over. Through whom, verse 5, this is what we love about Paul. His sentences just go on and on and on and on, right? He never had an English teacher taught him about run-on sentences. Okay? Um, verse 5, Through whom we have received. Now we know why he's writing. Because it's, it's more than a story from the past about people that God used to like. It's a story for today. Through whom we have received. What did he receive? Grace and apostleship. A gift and a role. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name um, for a select few. No? It's for all nations. This is great. Paul, Paul is uh, setting up at the very beginning who's God? He's everything. And who's he for? Everyone. For how long? All the time. He's setting that up and he says, this is what we're writing about. This is why I'm writing to you. Okay? Um, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So he gives his long intro. Now we know who he's writing to. He's writing to Rome. Did anybody guess that? Right. Uh, let's talk about Rome for a second. Why is Rome significant? Uh, because it's pretty much where you live. It was the center of the world. It was a mix of all kinds of different things, religions, cultures, politics. Um, in fact, the church in Rome would have been highly mixed, Gentiles and Jews. Um, it was uh, it was uh, one of the great melting pots, and what a better setting for us to get descriptions about a bunch of different things. A setting with has a bunch of different has everything. Well, great, let's talk about all of it then, and that's why we get such a long book uh, in Romans. Uh, by the way, you know some people ask about the order of Scripture, like how. Huh? Why is everything, it's like really wonky. 
doesn't seem like it's chronological order. It's not geographical in order. Like, what order do they use? I mean, who put this thing together anyways, right? Well, there's, it's a very long uh, explanation. But when we get to the Pauline epistles, that's what they like to call them because they like to sound um, important or whatever. Just Paul's letters. When we get to Paul's letters, you, you know what order they're in? Well, if there's a second book, it follows the first book. Like, so 2 Corinthians would follow 1 Corinthians, right? Besides that, like when we get into the go eat popcorn, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all these different books that he wrote, like how'd they pick which one goes first? Because if you read them, they're not in chronological order. They jump all over the place. Which one's longest? All right, we'll put that one first. Which one's shortest? We'll put that one in the end. All right, line up by height. <laughs> okay, that's what they did. Um, what's the first Pauline epistle in the Bible when you're reading through? This is his longest book, his longest letter. Most information, most detail. That's what we're getting. That's what Rome's getting, and, and by golly, they needed it because it was a mess. Don't worry. We're not like that at all. We have everything together in our culture this day. Oh, wait, no. We're an absolute mess. We need it to, don't we? Anybody say amen to that? I don't know if I want to say amen to that. It's dork. Um, grace to you. First thing he says to him. Grace to you. And peace. Love that. Great combo. That you get grace is wonderful, but if there was, it was unpeaceful, well, you've been let off the hook, but we're going to take you out of jail and we're going to put you in a really bad situation. Well, you, you've been set free, but you're, now you're in a different kind of jeopardy. He says, no, grace and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Does he want what's best for Rome? for these people, for this church. Absolutely, he does. And it's, it's important for us to remember that that's how he starts it because he's going to get into some very biting critique at different times. And he's going to call certain things sin and say, you can't do these things. Why does he do that? Because he wants to be in charge and have authority and make all the rules. No. He simply wants to explain reality. We did our last series on the book of Hosea. One of the things I started dabbling with and, and teasing you with is the idea that you know a lot of what God does for us, a lot of what the gospel does for us, Christ does for us, the Holy Spirit does for us, going to church does for us, is it simply draws us into reality. What is really going on? Who is he really? How accurate are your own views of yourself? Like draw us back into reality. That's what Paul's trying to do with truth. It's to our benefit to bring us grace and peace. First, verse 8. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. It means you're living it out. For God is my witness, who I serve with my uh, spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Boy, that's a long sentence. And, and, you know, at some point, you're going to get to meet Paul 
Really? He's coming? No, no, no. We're going to go to heaven, and you're going to get to meet him. Do you have a list of people you want to meet in heaven? You, you should start one, right? There's, there's a really fun list you can make there. When I see Paul in heaven, I'm going to ask you, do you ever do short sentences? <laughs> right? <laughs> Noun, verb, be done. <laughs> no. Um, but what is he, what's he thankful for them, right? And uh, to the point that he's saying, w- w- in that long sentence, what's he getting at? I, w- I want to be with you. I haven't been able to come see you yet. So has he been to Rome yet? Apparently not. But he wants to be there. He wants to be around other people. You know, pol- apostleship involves other people. Your faith involves other people. It's a group event. It's a crowd event. It's interpersonal. You can't do it staying at home. You can't. Well, I do. I, I, I have a relationship with the Lord. I, I just stay home and I, I do God on my own. I don't really attend a church. I'm not part of a church. No, it doesn't work. You got to be with people. This is who you learn from. It's how you serve, how you give them a way to serve, how you interact, teach to care about one another, all this kind of thing. And then maybe accomplish things like support missionaries and other people beyond that. Do something beyond yourself, right? He says, I want to do that with you. I wish, wish I could come to see you. Verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. I want to be a blessing to you. Uh, kind of subtle question that comes out. Who are you a blessing to? Beyond just your immediate family. Like, are you bringing blessing anywhere? Paul says that's what he wants to do. Most prolific writer in the New Testament, he says, I want, rather than be important, I want to bless people. I want to go be with them. Interesting. Best writer ever, maybe. And what do we rather do? Be with people. Huh, is that true about you? Would you rather do the thing you're best at, or would you rather be with people? Uh, I'll tell you later. That is that we may be mutually encouraged. See, that's what happens when you're the the mutual encouragement happens. By each other's faith, both yours and mine, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. We get things done when we're together. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, to both the wise and the foolish. Watch this. This is kind of funny, actually. Right? Is, he, is, he, does, does, is he like the Greeks and the barbarians? Say yes. Okay. You with me? You like the wise and the foolish. Yeah, so he's saying the whole spectrum of people, that's who I want to work with, right? Verse 15, so I, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also. I, I, I like even the worst of the dregs, and that's why I'm going to come talk to you also. Right? It's a little, I might be funny, ironic, teasing him a little. I don't know. That's the way I would have wrote it if it was me, but he was probably nicer than that. Um, take sarcasm out. Who's, who's Paul care about? Everyone. Right? And Paul knows that how you care is in presence. You be present 
That's huge. Um, how do you act when you're present? How do you care for people? Paul wants to figure that out by, by doing it. You know, and that's, that's simple for us to do. Verse 16, and here's a famous one. This, is a, this shows up as a devotional verse from time to time on your online stuff. Right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Love that uh, this verse talks about um, this idea that it's for everyone. Where does this verse come out of? Him just saying, look, this is for Greeks and barbarians, foolish and wise. It's for everyone. And that's why I'm not ashamed of it. That's why I want to come and I want to share it. It's for all people. Have you ever thought to yourself, uh, they, they could never be a Christian? Dangerous thought. Paul would never say that. He says, we're going to come for everybody. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. God came to the Jews first and why? What do he say to him? I'm going to bless you so that you bless all people. He's got to start somewhere. He started with them. Are they more important? Say no. They were just first. It's like my family. My dad made it very clear that I was the firstborn. But I was not the most important. Right? Between the three brothers... Who's most important? Do you know the answer to that question? Do you know how you respond to that question when your kids ask who's the most important? Who's your favorite? Here's your, here's your response. Ready? Wrong question. That's what you tell them. Yeah, but I was first. Yeah, but the, no one's most important. All right? Um, but we in Western culture, we like to pick sides in black and white and somebody's good and somebody's bad and delineate and it's, it's just wrong we shouldn't do that because um, paul's point is everyone right in fact it's right above that line uh, the power of god for salvation to everyone verse 17 for in it the gospel and salvation the righteousness of god is revealed from faith to faith Ooh, how does salvation happen what well, happens through the cross and Christ. But how is it realized? It says through faith. How fast does that happen? How fast does faith happen? Well, it goes 0 to 60 in like, um, I don't know, about 70, 80 years. How long does faith happen? A long time. It never happens fast. It happens over time. We realize our salvation over time. Did it happen in an instant on the cross through Christ's finished work? Yes, it did. Amen. But here's what we're going to love about Paul. Paul's going to help us see the different ramifications of how something like the gospel or the cross plays out. Who did it? God. Well, I don't have a piece in it. Well, no, not in the cross, but you do have a piece in it in that you develop faith and walk in that faith. It's kind of what we got from Hosea, by the way. As it is written, the righteous shall live by, by faith. There we go. For the wrath of God, wait, God has a wrath? The wrath of God is revealed. Oh, you mean he's got a wrath and he doesn't keep it under control? No, his wrath comes out. It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. 
Now, is ungodliness, is that one of those words that you look at and you read and you say, that's a Bible word that we're supposed to read from time to time and understand that it's bad stuff? Or, let me suggest something different. I want you to think about ungodliness as not God. God is opposed to not God stuff. That's what he gets angry about. When you do not God stuff, you get in trouble. That's how it works. But sometimes these really big words, ungodliness, it becomes this like sing-songy thing that we repeat and we forget meaning. When you cross God, you get in trouble. And welcome to one of his best teachers, Paul, who's going to say, hey, look, this is not God and this is is God. He's going to help define for us what is ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by unrighteousness suppress the what? Let's try that one again. We're going to do interactive portion of the morning. You ready? I'm going to read this really long thing and at the end you're going to say truth. All right? We've got this ungodliness. It's been revealed revealing God's wrath because of the not God stuff that men do, who by their unrighteousness suppress the And now we've found probably, um, probably Paul's second greatest weapon. You just said it out loud. Truth. Now his greatest rep rep weapon is God. All right, we're in church. Uh, number one answer on the board, on a people survey. But what's he going to use through this whole book? truth and the people that argue with paul or don't like paul or don't uh or vehemently argue against some of the things that he paints black and white they refuse to call truth truth and that's why they get in trouble they're really upset with god they're really upset because they want to do not god stuff rather than god stuff and how do you know the difference between those? Truth. What I love about Paul is Paul shows up on the scene and says, look, one of the most scholarly um, rabbis of all time and studied and wrote this stuff down, and I'm going to explain it to you. right? And I, I don't know about you, but I love when people explain things to me. Read a book or sit with an expert. I, I, I got kindling for the fire. And I'm talking to the guy. You give me that, that choice. That was an easy one. <clears throat> Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Man, you are going to run into verses like this throughout the whole book of Romans. Very simple statements. Overarching umbrella generalities. And he just plops him right there on the table and says, uh, you're either going to eat it or you're not. What can be known about God is plain. Can it be seen? Has He shown it? It sure has. The reason we argue has nothing to do with truth. The reason we argue is because of want. 
that dirty little thing that sneaks in. I want this. I want that. I've yet to have it. I must get it. Yes, but there's all this truth over here. Please, leave that truth out of the way. It must not uh, hinder me from getting to my destination of what I want. Paul says, well, careful. Because everything you need to know, super clear, super simple. And he's shown it? What's that tell us about the heart of God? The intention of God? Does he want to be known? Does he want it to be clear? Simple. Easy? Dare we say easy? He wants following him to be easy. That I love that. Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived. They've been seen, right? Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. You can't make a, 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 an excuse for why everything has happened. You have to default to God at some point. You have to, top of the outline, Romans chapter 1, acknowledge God. That's where it all starts. 4, verse uh, 21, Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Do you remember how this happened? Truth. Remember that statement about truth? They, they set truth aside. Remember I did that goofy little thing while I walked across this way? I said, oh, stuff I want. and leave the truth behind. That's how they just do their own thing. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him. They wanted to do not God stuff uh, as God or give thanks to Him. Hey, God, thanks for what you've done. No, nope, we're going to go do not God stuff. Who are they thinking then? Self, they became futile. Are they effective then? When you're futile, can you be effective? Say no. Right? It means things are messing up. Where in their thinking, that's a statement about truth again, and their foolish heart, not just hearts, but what have, what have they become now? Not God's stuff is foolish. Going against God is foolish. It, it is the definition of it. Um, and their hearts were darkened. What does that mean? Uh, I don't, I'm not really sure what a heart darkened means. And I'm sure about one thing, though. I don't want to know what it means because I don't want to experience it. Most dangerous place on the planet. Do you know where it is? Have you been there? Away from God. The, that's the scary part about the most dangerous place on the planet is it could be anywhere and, and you're walking away from God without Him, chasing your own thing. You could be in the safest place in the world and yet be in the most dangerous place in the world. Uh, scary and awesome because what's the safest place in the world then? By default, anywhere where you're walking with God. Uh, claiming to be wise, verse 22, watch this. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It says it just, they just started chasing other stuff, not God's stuff. 
right? That's the ungodliness, right? Therefore, God gave them up. What? what? God, God gave them up? I want you to remember that phrase. I mean, hopefully we'll never hear it again, right? But I want you to remember that phrase, God gave them up. Because what's he apparently capable of and willing to do? Let you go chase your not God stuff. Right? Now, well, we'll cover that in a second because we're not quite there yet. God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity. What, what are they chasing now? Heart stuff. Right? It says lust, God. It says lust. Yes, lust of what? Though? Where's it coming from? Heart. Okay. How many people have one of those? 100%? 100 people surveys? But some people are heartless. Okay, well played. Um, everybody has a heart. Uh, to this impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. They're doing things from their heart that's not God against themselves. Now, does, does it say that God condemned them or struck them down right in the moment or like everybody likes to joke, has lightning come down and hit them right away? Whatever. No, God gave them up and let, He lets them, right? What's He let them? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped the served the creature rather than the Creator who is forever blessed. Amen? What's he give them up to? Not worship him. Worship anything else. He lets them do that. Should we? Well, if God let them go off and do whatever they want, and he's in charge of all things, then shouldn't we let people go off and do whatever they want? Do that freedom? What's God doing there? Is He letting them have their learning curve? Yeah, why does He do that? Because once you make it your own choice, then you own it. But if someone makes you do it, you'll be defiant and you'll fight it forever. Right? I'm going to fight the powers that be. Right? I'm never going to give in to the man. You can't make me. Right? All that stuff comes up when you're forced to. Right? No, but when you got no strings to hold you down, you can run off and do the Pinocchio thing and do whatever you want. And that's when you'll learn. And God says, great, you want to learn? You want to go do the not God stuff? I'll let you do the not God stuff. I'll be right here when you're ready to come back. When you're ready to worship the Creator. For this reason, verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Where'd they come from again? Their heart, right? Uh, their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Where'd that come from? Their heart. Is it not God's stuff? Absolutely. What does God do about it? He says, have at it. Thank you. I was going to say something else, but that was better. Does he get in their way? Does he rail at them? Post about them? Give them names? Says, have at it. I'm going to step over here. 
I'm going to stay where truth lies. Here's where I'm going to live. And he lets him do it. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to, what? Acknowledge God. And there you have your title. They did not see fit to acknowledge God, which if we take that and, and some of the implications there, we're meant to acknowledge God. We need to see fit to acknowledge God. What's that? We need to see fit to. What's that phrase? Where, where'd that come from? What? Like, acknowledging God is where you find fit. See to it that it fits. Like, make sure you find your fit in acknowledging God. That's how it's going to work. Yeah, because they didn't. God gave them up. Wait a minute. I, I, didn't I say, hopefully we'll never hear this phrase again? And we already, if we, has he gave them up twice now? Has he said it twice that he gave them up? Gave them up to a debased mind that's deprived of truth to do what ought not to be done. The things listed that, we've, that we're talking about, are they ought to be done? Pretty clear, pretty simple. It's not God's stuff. Does it exist? Yes. Is, is God panicked about it? Never. Is he threatened? Absolutely not. In fact, he's playing the long game. I'm going to wait and have this play out. I'll win eventually. Maybe my Christians will learn how to love people through this process. But in the meantime, he gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness unrighteousness or that's ungodliness or as we predefined not god's stuff right um evil what when we do evil what's that right we've we've eliminated good covetedness what's that what have you eliminated value of your own stuff malice what have you eliminated the good of other people or the value of another person. They are full of envy. What's the problem with envy? You've dishonored what God has given you rather than honoring someone else. Uh, murder. What's wrong with murder? You're taking a life rather than living your own. Rather than blessing, you're taking. Strife. You're creating difficulty for something. Deceit. I mean, you're lying. Why? Manipulation for self. Maliciousness. You're trying to get back at somebody or revenge. They are gossips. That means they want to hurt other people's rep reputation. Slanderers. That means they want to define things about other people. Haters of God. Insolent. Haughty. Boastful. Inventors of evil. Not just doing evil, but let's make up new ways to do it. Right? Disobedient to parents? Wow. All these really horrible, horrible things. And then here comes disobedient to parents. Can we record this and send it? Oh, there's a few Berglunds I want to send this to. What have we eliminated? The structure and value of what God has put in your life to give you direction. And to combat where heart can take us sometimes. Foolishness, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And the list goes on, right? Is this meant to be the comprehensive list? Or is this meant to give you the idea that 
this is just the tip of the iceberg. It, it includes all things. For though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I'd like you to meet Paul. <laughs> May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Um, Paul pulls no punches and he, sa he says, look, this is the way it is. Um, and I want to make it clear, we need not give approval for people to do things, but we absolutely should never get in their way. It's freedom. And God gave them up. Did you see it the third time? We, we glanced it over, but he says it three times in the passage. God gave them up. Why? Because he eventually wants to win them. How many of them? Paul says all, the foolish and the wise, the Greek, the barbarian. That's why I want to come to you. I want to be around you because I have hope for you no matter what. Paul's going to define these kind of things. And he says the only way you're going to understand them is if you acknowledge God. How do we acknowledge God? It's, it's, uh, it's the basis of everything that he argues here. And I want us to see um, four kind of things. First thing uh, I want you to see is that acknowledging God, this is what it means. It means habitual honor and thanks to God for His grace. He starts the passage talking about that. I thank my God for you know, and grace and peace to you and the whole thing. But then it says, you know, they, they refuse to honor or give Him thanks. Acknowledging God and getting your theology right and, and knowing truth. I just want to know God's will. All these little questions that people like to ask pastors. I get them once in a while. You know where they really come from? Pete's coffee. Because that co you know, it's something about that, that gets you closer to God. No. And trust me, sitting across the table from a pastor and asking him questions can help. You know what is drastically like 99% of the deal? You habitually walking with him. Figuring out what the not God and God stuff are. What is truth? And how do you recognize truth? You dabble in it as much as possible. And it starts to get all over you. And then the next thing you know, it's like, gosh, I can't get all this truth off of me. It's like I've been infected. And then when stuff happens, you go, eh, never seen it before. Not sure it's in a passage in the Bible, but that doesn't look like truth to me. It's probably a skill that's not that important this day and age because no truth is in question in our current culture. It's scary, folks, what people will come up with. How do you, how do you, how do you know that you're okay? You gotta look in the mirror every day and say, "Am I still following God? Am I? Is he? Did he really like five loaves and two fish, and then fed her? Ladies bleeding, and all of a sudden she's not just because she touched his. Can he really walk on water? Did he really do all these things? Did these guys really write these books? Does the Holy Spirit actually like?" lead them in what they wrote is paul re a real deal or did just a bunch of people make it up you have to at some point walk through all of those questions on a regular and regular basis to where you're praying about stuff asking god for help looking to serve and seek and do all these things and and it will infuse into you and then when you read stuff like this 
you don't need a pastor. Because you understand it. You get it. Now, are there people that would argue with this stuff? Yeah, you're hilarious. Like such, so many Christians, like when we talk about controversial stuff, you just get, become deaf mutes. I can't say anything about it. Look, there's people that vehemently disagree with us. Do they recognize truth the way the Bible defines it? No. How much time have they spent with it? Almost none. Does it make sense that they would not acknowledge it nor understand it? Absolutely. What do you need to do about it? Almost nothing. Give them up. Let them do their thing. Be a blessing. Love them every chance you get and give them whatever freedoms they need. Why? Because none of that's your job. Your job is to habitually follow God. And guaranteed every single person in your life, every single one of them, has some kind of false in them that they're pursuing. You know this? That's not true. Yeah, we call it sin. Paul's going to tell us in a couple chapters, all of us do it. And we can't live up to who God is. So none of us are perfect. If you're used to being around people that are imperfect all the time, practice that. Get really, really good at it because it will never change. <laughs> no matter what. You can birth them, raise them, grow them, teach them, guide them, and they become false a little bit. No matter what. It, it, it gets into us. We're human. Learn how to be nice to those people habitually thank god for getting to be around anything you get to be around honor god as you're around them and say god continue to show me grace amen um you can check the references from the passage on that one second thing if acknowledging if we're acknowledging god then acknowledging god means that you are called to the team sport of apostleship it's a team sport, folks. I can't, I really, like tennis, I can't do tennis. It's, it's just me by myself. I can't do it. I, the individual sports, no. I want a team around me. I want a team around me because when I mess something up, there's still hope. And this is what I figured out. I'm very good messing things up i've never done individual sports it's really a theological statement your relationship with the lord can never be an individual sport it's a team sport you have to be around people paul says i need to get to you and i can write you as many letters as possible more than anybody else and the best ones ever yet i need to be around you you need to be around me. This is how we grow. This is how we learn. This is how we bless. Especially the people that are different than us. You know why we're here? We're here for the Greeks and the barbarians and the fools. Right? Not really the wise. They already think they're wise and you know, they're no fun to be around. But all the dark ones, we're, you know, shady ones. 
Let's be around them as much as possible. Why? Because God's called us to that apostleship. He's called us to do that. Paul says to all of us, we've been called to that, right? So how are we going to do that? What, what's the purpose of our truth? This apostleship that draws other people in. All right. Third thing, acknowledging God means you experience the power of God through... Oh, I don't know. This might be the most controversial, most controversial statement in the history of our church, at least. You experience the power of God through... Anybody know obedience obedience what how can you say that it's that's not in there actually verse five it is to whom we have received grace and apostleship that stuff we were just talking about in the last set of feelings to bring about the obedience of faith Really, shouldn't it just say faith that you bring about, you know, we have all this apostleship and this gospel stuff and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and churches. and Shouldn't it be so we have faith? I mean, in fact, it's said that our salvation comes by faith through faith. The righteous shall live by faith. You said, Scott, it'll happen over time. If we just, just believe over time, we'll be good. For some reason, the most specific writer we have in all of scripture he says not just faith but the obedience of faith why apparently god says do these things and don't do these things that's how it works do nothing, get nothing. Mom said dinner's at six. If you're not at the table at six, no dinner. That really happened, by the way. How many times did that happen? How'd you know? <laughs> yeah. You either obey or you don't. I don't understand why my life this, my life that, my... Well, are you praying? No. Are you going to church? No. Are you helping anybody else? No. Are you believing all these lies that people are saying about? Yeah. Where, where is a single point of obedience in your life? Why would you expect that it would work in a system that's designed on obedience? Right? Here's a scary exercise for you. Um, do a little study in your, own, in your Bible on your own and find out how many times does obedience show up in the Bible. Way more times than you wanted to. Um, so uh, we're going to habitually honor and thank God and, uh, for His grace. We're going to be called to the team sport of apostleship, and then we're going to be obedient. And we've made a lot of... Um, We've stressed this whole thing of obedience right here, big time, right? What's the beginning of this phrase? You experience the what? Power of God. Power of God, folks. I was um, joking with you a little bit about how three times it said, and God gave them up. You know, there's another little combo of phrases, and they said the wrath of God starts one section, and the power of God starts another section. Bam! 
This is where you're supposed to say something. You know, there's two types of people. The obedient ones and the disobedient ones. The people that get the wrath of God and the people that get the power of God. I was thinking about it all week. Actually, more than a week. because I was thinking, you know, that's not true. There's only one type of person. What we're going to find, what we're going to learn from Romans, this book, this apostle, he's going to make it really clear. By the time we get to the end of this book, there's only one type of person. That's it. We had a um, garage sale yesterday. Lord, forgive me. Um, <laughs> I, I, garage sales are... If, if, you're, if you're a garage sale person, it's glorious. You're making deals and you're out there and you're meeting people and you're finding gems in someone else's basura. And, you know, it's like... It's all is great, right? If you're not, if you're not a garage sale person, it's like, oh, I believe in hell. <laughs> that it's an eternal garage sale. It's just a bunch of junk. You get nothing from it. You're hot and sweaty, and and at the end of the day, you're just exhausted, right? And you still have to make a dump run, right? <laughs> is there are two types of people: people who like garage sales and people who don't like garage sales. I want us to change how we think to help our theology. No, there's not. There's just garage sales. And you can decide to like them and enjoy it. Or you can decide to be a curmudgeon and be miserable. This theology. But what does the power of God look like? If there's only one type of person, that's great news for you because that means you're in the group. <laughs> you made the list. And you have access to the power of God. What could that look like? I'm going to say that question again and I'm going to preload your answer. Okay? I want you to say anything. But I want you to say it with a little conviction and confidence. Okay? What could the power of God look like? literally you want kids you don't want kids you want a job you want out of a job you want into a relationship you want out of a relationship you want health you want to help someone else god controls this whole thing without exception without breaks Try some obedience to what he's called you to. And then hold on. Because you'll think a Tesla's slow. He will take off with you. And you will go for an amazing ride. Amen? Amen. All right, last one. Last one. Where's the fill-in? They're back at the top. Top of the outline. Acknowledging God means no excuses. No excuses. Paul will make no excuses. God will make no excuses. 
Uh, it's like the fun little come to Jesus meeting I had with one of my kids whose name will remain anonymous to protect the identity of the guilty. No one cares anymore. There's no excuses. Your teacher doesn't care. Your future boss doesn't care. Your girlfriend doesn't care. You either show up or you don't show up. You either turn it in or you don't. You either accomplish it or you don't. You either hit the goal or you don't. Period. And never is that more true than our theology, our doctrine, what God wants us to know about himself. There are no negotiables. And it's actually great news. You just said, I can't negotiate any of it. How could that be great news, Scott? No, you're not negotiating any of the truth. But when you start being obedient to the truth, that's when the real negotiations begin. I asked you, what could the power of God do? What I, what I force you to say? And I said, say it with confidence and conviction. When you stop trying to negotiate the truth and you just become obedient, then you can say, all right, God, take me on a ride. Let's start a church. And believe it with my whole heart, folks. The truth shall set you free. That's why we're here today. I hope you'll buy it hook, line, and sinker and then enjoy the power of God as it plays out when you're making no more excuses. Amen? Jeez, God, you got a little intense there for a second. I'm trying to recover from that. So, Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you. For the way you've designed the whole thing. It's so much better than any of us could have come up with. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us when we, we want to argue truth or chase something that's not you. For, forgive us, correct us, and stop us, Lord, when we try to do that to other people. Show us how to love you and to love our neighbor. And I pray the truth of this book as we study it will help us to get to that place in new, unique, exciting ways, Lord. May we have power, experience your power. If you're here or if you're online and you're, you're done with excuses and you want to start following God, Make that decision today. And maybe that's your prayer to God today. God, no more excuses for me. Me and you from now on. I accept the gospel. I accept your son, what he did on the cross. His death for me, payment of my sin, conquering of death. And now I want to work on the faith part. I want to live it out. No more excuses for me, God. If that's you, let us know. We want to help. We want to support you. And then, God, thank you for this offering. What we're about to receive. 
It's yours. We trust you'll know what to do with it. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. May you acknowledge God and experience his power. Amen. Go with him.